Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This place can't chew you up and spit you out in a hurry. Talladega is certainly always a crapshoot. It doesn't make it very fun on any of the competitors. God dang, this is crazy. I hate it. It's been this way for 30 years. I'd much rather sit at home. I gotta win. I don't need to be here. A savage crash coming off turn two. It's easier to win the Powerball than to win at Talladega. month filled with short track racing Talladega is upon us. It is the longest track on the circuit at 2.66 miles and it is the most unpredictable. Restrictor plate madness awaits on the 33 degree high banks at Talladega. Welcome into NASCAR America everybody presented by Mobile One. Carol Amano alongside Parker Kligerman and joining us from Burton's Garage our Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett and current Cup Series driver Landon Castle. DJ we'll start with you. Your resume at Dega speaks for itself. You raced 42 times there in the Cup Series which by my basic math is somewhere between like 100 and 150 <laughs> hours. I'm just wondering how many hours of on-the-job training you need at that track before you can get it under your belt. Yeah, well, I, you never think that you've actually got it under your belt because every race is different. You know, it doesn't matter what type of rules package they came with, how the cars drove. You're always looking for speed. The cars didn't never really drive all of that good, but you're always in the middle of a hornet's nest. It's just a matter of finding your way out of that at the right time. So I think more than anything, having a good car is great. Having a good pit crew is always fantastic, but having a lot of luck helps you more at Talladega to get to that what you're looking for, and that's that finish line uh, at the end of 500 miles. So I was fortunate to have it happen a couple of times, but I think whoever that might have been Kyle Busch that just says easier win the Powerball than Talladega. I have to disagree. <laughs> I've been trying to win the Powerball and hadn't done that. <laughs> you know, Landon, you haven't clocked quite as many hours, but have you developed a strategy for trying to at least avoid the big one? Well, I've been trying to. You know, my, my first few races at Talladega in the Cup Series – I got caught up in the big one over and over again. And you heard Kyle Busch say it's a crapshoot, and it's kind of easy to leave after getting wrecked in the big one and say, well, it wasn't my fault. I didn't cause it. I just was collected, and we'll try again next time. And, and I look back at, at, at the wrecks that I was involved in, and I started watching the film, and I thought that I can create a strategy that gets me out of these things. So I started running a different line. I, I started favoring the bottom of the racetrack. I felt like when the wrecks happened, they move up before they move back down, mm -hmm. and it started to help me. Uh, you can see right there, I'm, I'm on the, kind of in the back of the screen running the middle lane, and there's a gap in the bottom. I moved down to the bottom intentionally really to protect myself, and it just was perfect timing because there was a wreck right here. Chase Elliott gets turned, and you can see my car again. I've got lots of racetrack um, underneath me, lots of pavement to slow myself down, and now I'm dodging race cars going 100 miles an hour, not 200 miles an hour, and it's a lot easier to drive through the wreck that way. That's a great point, Landon. You know, one of the things I think about this racetrack that sums it up very well is the word insanity, right? Because those 
plans that you make, like you just said, in watching tape and trying to decipher and analyze the races to find a better position to be in is like trying to make a plan inside a tornado, right? Because <laughs> there's so much going on around you at all times, especially when you find yourself in the pack three and four wide, and every driver has an agenda. They're trying to get something done. So what I've always done is I've always looked at the races and even lap by lap and try and analyze and sort of decipher the pack and start to see, you see some wrecks here that we have seen in the past, and try to see what the tempo of the race is. What, what, what am I seeing out of the drivers? Am I seeing a couple cars that are moving around and bumping aggressively, which might make me think, all right, you know what? I need to get out of this pack. I don't need to be here. But every driver's trying to do that at the same time. So we're all trying to do the same thing while trying to avoid each other. And I think that's what adds the insanity of Talladega. And then you put a prize or a finish at the end where we're all trying to get to that finish and trying to get that prize of winning, and that's how you end up with what we see at Talladega. Yeah, Landon, I am just fascinated, and DJ as well, with what must be going through a driver's mind in that moment, especially when it's an unavoidable situation and the strategy is completely out the window. Well, I feel like every time I've been in an accident at Talladega, it happens so fast that there's, there's really nothing to think about. Yeah. But after it's done, you always think you could have missed it. It's just that you always feel like you could have missed it. And this is a perfect one. You can see me again right in the middle. I broke my own rules. I'm not on the bottom anymore. I'm, I'm favoring the high side of the middle. And right up here, I think my teammate gets turned, and uh, it just causes a wreck. And here we are going up the racetrack. I got collected in it, and those people that were running the bottom, uh, they actually look pretty good. I think they, a lot of them made it through this accident. So that ended my race. I hate that you guys had to roll that clip. <laughs> Live through that one again. Well, we always ha we all have clips like this because it doesn't matter how many times you race there and how good a job you do. And when you just when you think you've got things figured out, I always felt like, and I talked to Dale Earnhardt about this a lot, that it, it seemed like that trouble finds you. You don't you don't have to go looking for that. You you can have all the best plans in the world, and then all of a sudden somebody makes one wrong move and it's amazing to me how many times these moves happen on the straightaway the best race drivers in the world are wrecking on the straightaway at Daytona and Talladega more than in the corners but it's just as you said everybody has an agenda Parker was talking about that that you're trying to make things happen and all it takes is one look you know we're not talking about making a big change from the outside lane to the inside it's just a matter of maybe getting bumped or, or trying to make a move of uh, uh, one lane or just a few feet and you find yourself in the middle of this so yeah again Again, you have to have a lot of luck, but being prepared and understanding, as you did, you, you'd watch film, and that gave you a better chance of understanding where you need to go because you don't lock yourself in. In the outside lane, you've only got a couple of moves to make. By being in the middle or, or if you have the bottom, you can see all the runoff area you have, which makes it a lot easier. And as a young driver at that time, I had to change my mindset from it's not my fault, it wasn't my fault, it wasn't my fault, every time I got wrecked, to mm -hmm. just saying I'm the driver of this car and I'm fully responsible for getting it home in one piece. And so that, that preparation, like you said, is what, what opened my eyes to the options that, that I could give myself by adjusting where I'm running in the pack. And guys, you bring up that, that point of watching tape. And the best super speedway racers I've seen and, and learned a lot from Brad Keselowski in terms of how he watched tape to win races is that that's how they prepare. That's the only thing you can really do to prepare as a driver for a super speedway race is to watch past races, take notes, and then try to execute those notes in the race. It's not always the Rex, though. We see some phenomenal finishes. Let's take a look at the top five finishes from Talladega. DJ, we'll start with you. 1981 here. Ron Bouchard making a great pass. Coming to the checkers to beat Darrell Waltrip and Terry Labonte. 
Yeah, this is beneficial where this start finish line is, is down towards turn one. But those big boxy cars made a big hole in there. That was a slingshot pass at its very best. Textbook by Ron Richard. Number four, 2010, another great pass landed in the trial. This time from Kevin Harvick on Jamie McMurray. Yeah, this was back when we had that package where you could uh, run the tandem drafting, and the leader was an undefensible position at this time. It wasn't until Brad Kozlowski figured out how to break through from second place. Number three is from 2000, the 76th and final career win for the late Dale Earnhardt. Went from 18th to first, DJ, in the final five laps. Well, if we didn't all know that he was the best of all time at Talladega, he proved it on this day, passing all of those cars. It's a different rules package, but he was the man to beat every time he went there. Unbelievable what he did. Parker, how about this one from 2009? Yeah, the new man to beat. Brad Keselowski gets his first win by using the tandem and figuring out that he's not going to be shoved below that yellow line. Unfortunately, he throws Carl Edwards up into the catch fence there, but it was something that a lot of drivers took note of, and that tandem would become far more prevalent. That was nine years ago today, and number one land in 2011, Jimmy Johnson winning a three-wide battle and a photo finish. This was a great story of teamwork. The Hendrick Motorsports cars ran in the back together all day long and made this late race push uh, to, to take the win. So that was a, a Hendrick Motorsports team victory for sure. Yeah, margin of victory, just two one-thousandths of a second. DJ, here's what I'm curious about. Whether you have a great day at Talladega and all three of you have had remarkable days on a track like that, is the after process the same for you? Is the is the coming down process of that, whether you're celebrating or whether you're thinking about it and trying to process everything, like what's a good day at Talladega feel like afterwards and what does a bad day at Talladega feel like afterwards? Yeah, you know, it's a lot the same thing. Uh, just as Landon was talking about, you, if you if it's a bad day and you've gotten involved in something, you, you kind of think about what could I have done different, what should I have done different. But uh, also on days that you end up in victory lane here where I was fortunate to do that a couple of times, that was actually my last win of my career. And I wasn't even planning on winning. That race is crazy. There were others that I lost I thought I should have won. So you process it. I, I think after Daytona and Talladega, that I would stay up later thinking about everything that went on, whether I had a great day, how did I do that, what did I do, uh, so that I could put that in the memory bank and, and try to replicate that later on. But I was trying to help Tony Stewart win that race, actually. I told him, made a deal with him, and then all of a sudden the lane opened up for me uh, to, to go on and, and win that race. So you just never know when that opportunity is going to be there for you, but it's a great feeling whenever you've accomplished 500 miles and end up in victory lane. Landon, you had a fourth-place finish in 2014. Yeah, absolutely. This this has track has rewarded me, and we've seen the other clips, right? And I feel like any driver that says that they just flat out love Talladega or flat out hate it is not telling the full story because you can you just leave that place and you feel, wow, I'm a good I'm a good plate racer. You know, you can see me leading the race right here in that 40 car for Hillman Racing. And at that time, like I thought I was a pretty darn good plate racer, and I finished fourth in that race. And I've left that racetrack and thought. I have no idea what I'm doing, and this is the hardest thing in the world, and I, should, I don't ever belong on a plate track again. So there, it, it just really toys with your emotions. It's so unpredictable, and, and you can prepare all you want. Like I said, you have to, but it, it's just it's Talladega, and it is the big one. DJ, you, you made me think of something. That is that I've never entered a plate race, especially Talladega, where I didn't think I could win because I didn't care what equipment I was in. I always felt like there's a way to win this race. And so when I got wrecked or if something bad happened and I didn't get to finish the race, I was so frustrated afterwards, more so than other tracks, because I felt like that victory was out there for the taking, right? And then on the flip side of it, the times I've won, I've sat there at times and thought, 
how did I do that? What just happened? Like, I, did I just black out for the entire time that this race occurred? Because when you look back at the time you won, it's where every move had to line up. Everything had to go your way so perfectly over the course of that race. Every little thing that went that could have went wrong and, and inches that made the difference between winning or losing had to go right, and they do. And then that that's when you sit there and think, I have no idea how to replicate that again. <laughs> well, that's why I was so fascinated about the aftermath of Talladega, win or lose, because it seems like it just takes such a long amount of time to process the duress, the anxiety, the, you know, everything. <laughs> everything. Well, I can't even speak. It, and the thing is, you probably make what I like to call more racing decisions at Talladega and Daytona than you do many tracks because you're constantly in a position where you are so close to other cars, you're having to evaluate and decide where you need to put your car, what you're trying to learn come later in the race, and everyone's trying to do the same thing. So there's not many tracks where you're forced to be around so many other cars all the time trying to make the same moves. And so it just forces you to use so much of your mental capacity lap after lap. Yeah. All right. Coming up uh, on the show, more on the return of one of NASCAR's greatest drivers over the last two decades. Could Matt Kenseth's part-time role at Roush Family Racing grow in the future? Dale Jr. weighs in on that topic next. Stay with us. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. From beneath the twin spires of Churchill Downs, the race for the Triple Crown begins with the most exciting two minutes in sports. The Kentucky Derby presented by Woodford Reserve the first Saturday in May on NBC and NBCSN. It is just nine days away from now. And this year's Kentucky Derby takes place when NASCAR travels to Dover. And that is a venue that also features horse racing. In fact, did you know that way back in May of 1980, three NASCAR legends once competed in a harness horse race during a cup weekend? That's Dale senior Bobby Allison and Kelly Yarbrough. Allison got the win on both the horse and also in the car. It's pretty remarkable, isn't Kyle it? Kyle Petty also tried to race one of those <laughs> against the NASCAR team. I believe that. It won't be long before Matt Kenseth is back in the saddle. Kenseth stepped away from Joe Gibbs Racing at the end of last year, of course, but he's returning to Roush Family Racing where he spent the first 15 years of his career. He will drive selected races in the number six Ford, sharing the ride with Trevor Bain. And on the NASCAR America Debrief podcast yesterday, Dale Earnhardt Jr. offered a prediction for Kenseth's future. If I had to guess, I would think that if I'm an owner of the team, my hope would be that Matt comes in there, performs really well, fires up the new partner, and we put together a deal for 2019 to run full-time. Matt said he doesn't think that he's a long-term solution for the six-car. He sees an opportunity to come in and try to improve the team and help the team on all fronts. So Dale Earnhardt Jr. DJ offering his thoughts on what the future may hold. But back to the bad horse racing pun of Kenseth getting back in the saddle. In all seriousness, is he ready right now? How long does this process take for, for him to come all the way back around and be prepared to compete again at this level? Yeah, only a few laps for somebody as good and talented as Matt Kenseth, in my opinion. Yeah, the race cars have changed a little bit, but he's so very talented that it's not going to take him long to, to get up to speed. I think the, the process is going to be is getting those cars to driving better uh, to where Matt can really uh, make a, a difference in this organization and with this team. I, I think that it, it's that type of leadership that they're looking for, and he brings so much to the table. And I think that this opportunity is going to be there. I don't know if he's going to be full-time next year or anything like that. 
but I think that he can make a difference. He's not going to be able to do it in one, two, or three races. Uh, this is going to be a process, but having that leadership uh, that Matt Kenseth brings and that understanding of the car, because he worked on his cars all those years, uh, he's just so smart, and, and he's really good behind the wheel, and I think he can bring that to, to young drivers there, too. Here's the thing. They're going to have to make sure they listen to him, and Matt Kenseth can do this for as long as they want. He's a very young, 46 years old, in my opinion, so he can continue to do this for a few years if that's his desire. Well, I think what I'm rooting for, what I want to see here is Matt elevate the performance and now put the pressure on Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And, and if, if he does put that kind of pressure on Stenhouse, I might lobby to see our very own Jeff Burton, you know, maybe fill in uh, and, and, and maybe see if he can help the 17 car out. All the Roush Coutiers are coming back to the house, right? What? Yeah. We're getting the band back together? Uh, you know what I'm so glad about this move is that I felt like it was truly unfair to Matt Kenseth the way things ended last year at the 20 car. And I'm so glad to see there's a team out there that sees value in Matt Kenseth because he does still have a lot to offer. This is a guy that still knows how to win races. And DJ said he's incredibly talented. And I like this position he's in. I think it's truly really interesting because what he's going into is a situation where he is being put, the onus is being put on him to evaluate and help this team move forward. Now, I want to quell some of the euphoria out there to say that if Matt Kenseth gets in the sixth car, it's not suddenly going to become the number one car in the series right now. I just do not believe that at all. But it's going to be a process, and it's going to be exciting to watch if they do improve, a driver make a difference. I think there's a lot of people in the sport right now who feel like the driver isn't making as big a difference as it was in past years. So if Matt Kenseth goes in there and is able to evaluate the Roush Fenway racing cars, elevate the performance, really push Ricky Stenhouse to another level, I think that's going to be a huge win for the entirety of the drivers in the Cup Series. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things that they do good at, at Roush Fenway right now, but there's a, a number of things that that are areas they have to improve in, just as you're saying there, Parker. And, and Matt Kenseth is going to be able to help identify those how long does it take to implement those changes that they're going to need to, to put that process into to play and, and make these cars competitive on the mile-and-a-half track where they struggled? It's really uh, what kept Ricky Stenhouse from moving on last year uh, in the playoffs. So if they can do that, uh, they can make Ricky Stenhouse, I think, a viable driver uh, as this year goes on and possibly put him in that position of, of really making a difference and moving further along uh, in the playoff process. Well, Matt Kenseth has said as much as well. He hasn't promised immediate results in the car, and rightly so. But the other side of this story that you have to mention is Trevor Bain. He has not become a frontrunner since taking over the sixth car back in 2015, and Junior also discussed his career. If you're Trevor Bain, you want to get in something you can win in. Trevor Bain's in a position where, uh, much like Justin Algar was in years ago, where he's got a partner that believes in him in Avocare. If I'm him, I'm on the phone with them right now and talking to them about, do you want to work with me in the future? We can go over here and look at this opportunity or look at this opportunity in the Xfinity or Truck Series or wherever it is. I would be trying to make sure that I had a very strong relationship with them. I'll say he's unlikely to get an opportunity that's going to be rewarding without some financial support. And then I would take that opportunity and get in something that I know is good proven equipment, something that I feel like I can win in, whether it's trucks or Xfinity. I would go where I could win because he has to rebuild his reputation as a race car driver. And that's the only way to do it is to go win races. I will say that perception is often the most important. And what Trevor needs to try to do is change the perception of Trevor. 
So Trevor Baines made 117 starts in the sixth car, but Landon, he's got four top five finishes over the course of that span. I know that you know him very well. Give us some insight here into what this process has been like for him, what he may be going through. Well, I think Trevor uh, is probably really disappointed right now. And it, from the outside, it appears that he probably found out about this as quickly as we all did. And, and I look at that situation, I look at a guy who has brought a sponsor to this team for the past number of years. He's signed through 2019, and now he's kind of just all of a sudden limited to the races that his sponsor is signed for. And so he, he's probably, he has a great challenge in front of him because um, he's, he's living in Knoxville, Tennessee. He's, he's moved back kind of home to Knoxville, and he's been commuting to his, his competition meetings. And now he, he needs to reevaluate himself and his focus and not just for Roush Fenway racing, but for his own career. So, you know, Dale is definitely right that, that he's, he's, he's going to be kind of opening his options up to, hey, if Abacare is committed to me, uh, where, where can I go with them? But the thing that we don't know is what do those, that sponsorship agreement look like with Roush Fenway racing? Like I said, they, they had previously announced that they were signed through 2019. So uh, we don't know how that's going to play out and how Trevor can really change his options and, and work on that. Um, over the next year, but you know he will. He would do a really well, a good job in the Xfinity Series. But you know, I know that Trevor thinks very highly of himself in, at the Cup level. Um, you know, he has he's been grinding it out with Roush Fenway Racing for a number of years, and uh, you know, hopefully, I I, I kind of root for him that his sponsor is is committed to him. Yeah, I'll agree. You make great points there. Dale Jr. made some great points. You know, that perception of of what people think about you. They see the car not performing well. Well, that's not necessarily all the driver. You know, as Trevor Bain and Ricky Stenhouse came to Roush Fenway, well, you had Carl Edwards leaving and you had Matt Kenseth. They, they left for reasons. It's because the performance of the team and the cars wasn't there. So that's what these young drivers came into. And unfortunately, they've had to try to help build this back. And that's difficult as the rules continue to change as a young driver. So it's very – this business is not fair all the time. And we can only hope that Trevor gets the opportunity that he is deserving of because he's an outstanding driver. DJ, you bring it up, in, you know, the old saying, perception is reality. I mean, that's the, that's the case here. And we've seen it with many young drivers who end up – in rides that don't seem to perform at the level they were in Xfinity or trucks, and it kind of labels them in some respects. And so I think what Dale went into there is, is perfect. I mean, the, really, the avenue I see for Trevor Bain, if he ever wants to find a way into winning cup equipment, it's that taking the step back, proving the Xfinity in the truck series, and then and hopefully the sponsor sticks with him, and then he finds a way back in the cup series. But I just do not see the opportunity being there without doing that first. Man, if there ever was an opportunity, though, to just break right through a label, it could be this at could Talladega. It could be at Talladega this change weekend. It all. Oh, man, wouldn't that be something? Okay, coming up, uh, Ryan Blaney. Did you see this, Parker? He surprised his dad, Dave. Yes. With the reveal of his throwback scheme for Darlington. I know we're going to hear from Ryan and his proud pops when NASCAR America returns. Welcome back, everybody. Ryan Blaney is honoring his father, Dave, with his throwback for this year's Southern 500 at Darlington. Take a look at that beauty. The scheme inspired by Dave's Monster Energy Series car from the 2003 season. Our Dave, Dave Burns, spoke with the Blaney's after yesterday's reveal. So when I heard Ryan's car was going to look like his dad's, one image came to mind immediately. But that was my heart talking, not my head. And business meant that it needed to be somewhere in the Menards Yellow family. So, Ryan, tell us how this was chosen out of a stack of, I understand, quite a few. What did you think? 
Maybe a black and gold, and yeah, but we can't do that. We can't do that one. Yeah. Uh, no, this is uh, this is very cool to um, to have this. You know, we've been talking about it for a while, and everyone wants to go all out for Darlington. You know, it's it's um, a really amazing thing that the track does is doing these throwback schemes, and I've had some really cool throwback schemes uh, driving for the Wood Brothers, and, and now being at Penske, and we we're thinking about what to do, and uh, Menards was you know all for letting us do this, and uh, to have my dad's old car. Uh, old Jasper car he ran in 2002 and three that uh, is very special and then to have him here as well that uh, is very cool it is good to have you here they didn't really tell you ahead of time why you were showing up today so when you saw it what'd you think I thought that was awesome I did um, I, I was surprised I didn't have a clue but um, it'll be cool to go it'll be cool to go through that whole weekend like that um, hopefully I have some Jasper guys there with me I know there's still plenty around the racetrack now, what I'm wondering, though, is, you know, he's played up the whole throwback thing pretty big with hair and, and caps and, you know, suits and everything. So is he going to take you down that road a little bit? He's going to have to gain some weight. Yeah, I got to look <laughs> like he did back then because you were you were like 38, weren't you? 40. Well, that's worse. Um, <laughs> from Darlington, what would be your one thing that you'd tell him driving this car later this year? He knows. Just hit the wall the least amount of times you can yeah. <laughs> i've heard this before oh yeah i've hit the fence there hard every race and uh i'm gonna try not to do that this year but um he's you ran good in this uh in this car back at darlington we ran that we ran third the one day craven and kurt bush had that race yeah, yeah one more sucker punch from one of them we might have won yeah yeah we so save a sucker fun. punch too save a sucker punch hopefully we'll be uh close to that same spot It'd be nice Best career finish for Dave Blaney in a car similarly designed like this, and we'll wish the best for Ryan later on this year at Darlington. Dave, thank you. You know, Dave and Ryan Blaney, one of many father-son pairings who have raced at NASCAR's top level. Lee and Richard Petty leading the group with 254 wins. DJ and his father, Ned, have 82 wins. Those two father-son pairings in particular, the only ones to win Cup Series titles. And DJ, your success and your father's success has been well-documented and deservedly so. So I just want to get back to Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney is in a group of young drivers that we have been waiting to do something for a very long time. What is keeping Ryan Blaney from having even more success than than he has and he deserves so far at this point? Well, Carol, it's a really good question because we talk about these young drivers and when are they going to go win all of these races? We keep talking about that happening. I think Dave Blaney, looking at him, could get back in the car and go run <laughs> the, the Southern 500 myself. He looked great. But about his son... I think that there's – I can give you five numbers right now, Carolyn, that is the reason that he hasn't done more and a lot of the others haven't, and it's the four, the 18, the two, the 22, and the 78. That's the reason they haven't done more. They're racing against outstanding drivers, and, and that's one thing that's keeping Ryan Blaney there because not only – he's really good, he's very talented, we seem to be very fast, but sometimes in trying to chase those guys, you find yourself – jumping over that edge just a little bit, trying a little bit too hard. He talked about hitting the wall at Darlington, yet you have to keep yourself in control there. That racetrack will jump out and get you. The walls get you at any point in time. So I think it's just his patience, and he's up against some very talented drivers, and that's the one reason he doesn't have more victories yet. Yeah, but Landon, wasn't he up against that talented group of drivers when we still expected him to have more success at this point? Well, yes, but I, I'm still I'm still kind of betting on Ryan Blaney. I think he's, um, you know, we love his personality. His dad's got a great personality. And by the way, his dad ran well at Darlington and Charlotte were kind of his yes. special tracks yeah. that he re ran really well at. But one thing about Ryan is, you know, he had a stretch last summer where that 21 car 
was the fastest out of the Penske group off the truck on Fridays. Uh, you know, he, he closed the win at Pocono um, and got his first win. Uh, I know uh, from feedback that I've, I know some of the Penske people over there, and they've told me that Ryan drives a car looser than anybody else in the Penske camp. And so I, I still got a lot of faith in Ryan Blaney. I've seen some speed out of him earlier this year as well. It, you know, he, he, can definitely, he can definitely get there, and hopefully he can capitalize in this summer stretch when maybe those old guys are getting tired. Yeah, Carolyn, he just said the magic word. Here, it, it's, easy, it's an easy fix for him to get to Vic Blaine. <laughs> Tighten the car up just a little bit and you won't hit the fence as much. There you go. It's that simple, Parker. What do you think? It's great advice. Wow. I, you know, I, all those Landon, engineers you and need they to go to Ralph Fenway and bring the band back together. You've got all the solutions. <laughs> no, Parker, uh, you, you know what? This is an interesting question because I'm in Landon's camp where I have a huge belief in Ryan Blaney. I've picked him to win a couple races this year. Uh, I've actually, as you'll see in the fantasy segment, have a huge belief in him this weekend. But I think, you know, the thing that's kept them out of victory lane a little bit here as of late is just circumstance. And I've continually seen them have great speed, sometimes, as Landon mentioned, being the fastest of the Penske cars, which is a huge feat over Brad Keselowski and Joe Logano. And I just feel like he's in a similar situation to maybe even Chase Elliott, where I know he has a win, but when he gets that next win, he does it in the 12 car, he does it two wins after that. The floodgates will open. I think Ryan Blaney is definitely primed and ready to be maybe the top driver of that young group. You're convincing me to put him in my fantasy lineup you should for put this him in weekend. Hey, but then watch the fantasy segment coming up because you'll see other drivers. Uh, has Parker told you guys at home that he's a two-time winner at Talladega? I was just wondering. Uh, he's gonna, I text her every morning. He's going to climb into the iRacing simulator to show us how chaotic things get on NASCAR's biggest track and how to tame it when we come back. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Welcome back, everybody. On Monday, Denny Hamlin and the entire 11 team traveled to Memphis for a tour of the FedEx Express World Hub. Hamlin getting a firsthand look at how the massive operation receives, sorts, and delivers roughly a million and a half packages each night through the facility. And Hamlin and his crew even had the opportunity to get up close and personal with FedEx aircraft, learned what it takes to be a mechanic on a Boeing 767. Really cool. And Hamlin's Joe Gibbs Racing teammate Daniel Suarez in Miami last week to take part in Hispanicized 2018, which is the largest annual event for Latino trendsetters and newsmakers in several areas, including the world of sports. Daniel taking on some of the top Hispanic social influencers in a friendly go-kart race before having some dinner at Homestead Miami Speedway. So drivers busy, busy during the week. No go-karts, though, in the simulator this time around. Parker and Landon, what are you showing us from Dago, Parker? Well, right now, I just sort of wrecked on the pace lap, which was interesting. <laughs> this is a first for me. We uh, we stopped the banking. We're going to come to a start here, so uh, feel free to make fun of me on that one. That's, that's definitely a new one. <laughs> so Talladega is not only hard uh, when you're racing, it's hard on the pace lap, apparently. But, uh, well, make sure you, yeah, you're blending off a two all the way, uh, apron all the way around, not like Daytona. Yeah, that, exactly. That's what I should have done. But I, I seem, seemingly did not do that very well. So we got a pack here. We've got about 24 cars. I was hoping to be in the middle of the pack here. Now we're a little bit spread out, which does happen at Talladega at times. And what we've got here is what, when you're in this position, a lot of times, this is where you start to try and group up with cars. You're going to try and find cars at light speed that you can s sort of find a way to group together and start to create that pack that you want when you get separated at times, as we've got a huge run here now. 
going down the backstretch. And this is the sort of things you're always trying to do at Talladega. You're trying to make runs, make momentum, use the draft to your advantage at times. And that's one of the things that's so tough. And Landon, I know you and I were talking before the show about one place you want to be sometimes to make passes is in that middle groove, although it's treacherous. Yeah, I mean, I like to set up on the outside or inside lane. I know we talked about being on the inside lane to protect against a wreck. But I feel like the best way to advance position is going up the middle. So, you know, sometimes you kind of have to bully your way up, up the middle. Uh, if you're watching the, the broadcast on Sunday, I like to watch for Kurt Busch because he's a driver that, that really bullies his way up the middle. And uh, but anybody that's on the bottom here, the, the, the back end of the pack just got tore up, but the, the, the front half made it through. I and swear I didn't plan of, this. I swear. That was a, that was a move of uh, bullying up the middle a little bit. So I, I think you might be leaking fluid. You probably need to cut the engine and uh, don't run all the oil out of it. Exactly. Well, so he, see what we have here being at sim racing. Unlike real life, you'd be done there. Your race is done. We got a reset button. That's what's great about the simulator. So we'll pull out another car. DJ, I know they didn't they don't have any reset buttons in real life. Wouldn't you like to have one of those once or twice at Talladega? Oh, 100%. You're exactly right. So uh, when you do that, though, and when you think about what you're doing, part, one thing that people always ask me, you know, there are no speedometers in this car, and they ask, you know, how do you know? What's the feel? Are, are you looking at the tack to know that you've got a good run coming, or is it something you as a driver just feel to know that, okay, I've got a lot of momentum coming. I can pull out and try to make this pass. That's a great point because it is a feel thing, right? It's not always a thing where you, you have a, an idea about RPMs or even speed, a lot of times a run is just something you start to see because in relation to other cars, you're gaining on them quickly, right? It's not, it's not even something that you suddenly, you know, hear the RPMs pick up, that sort of thing. You just start to see yourself making gains on cars. Is, oh, gosh, we got one going slow right there. Remember, I'm in the 18 MEC Sports car. we got to thank all these drivers that joined us. Although we haven't been in great connection here this time, uh, they're coming from all over the world, so thanks to them. And I think, guys, one thing that sometimes happens at late in the race is that you might get a lane where you separate from the pack a little bit like we see here, and that's when it's toughest to make a pass for the win because you don't know when to pull out. Yeah, but when it goes single file like that and you're driving away from a pack and there's seven or eight cars, you just have to make sure that you're not the last car in line because that last car in line over time will get dropped. And it looks like you're kind of in no man's land right here. I hope you get some help. You know, the biggest, it, it, when it comes to drafting, it's not about who you can get behind and suck up to them. It's about who you can get to get behind, behind you. you. Yeah. And that's what makes the car go faster. So, you know, this 24 car is uh, helping you a little bit. And there you go. That helps with you. Hopefully this run can, can get you get you to the win. Yeah, let's see if, the, if we were coming to the checkered right now. Would I have enough momentum? No, uh, I, I don't would think not so. have enough momentum. Darn, well, that's exactly what can happen, Carolyn, sometimes at Talladega. You put yourself in position for the win, do all the right things, and just not have enough to get that win across the finish line. You have a spotter over there. I don't right now. That's the biggest problem. I, I, I feel like if I, I did, I'd fire right him. Just to help you with the pace lap and some other good stuff, I want to think about that in the future. We know the spotters are crucial to a team's success, but at Talladega especially, they become even more important. Coming up next, TJ Majors explains how he guides a driver through the pack at Dega. MEC Studios in Stanford, Connecticut. It was take your daughters and sons to work day. The kiddos getting ready for Sunday when Arsenal takes on Manchester United at the Theater of Dreams. You can catch the meeting at 11.30 a.m. Eastern right here on NBCSN. The last visit to Old Trafford 
for departing Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger. So make sure you tune in for that. Last weekend at Richmond, Joey Logano turned in his best effort of the season, winning the first two stages and leading 92 laps on his way to a fourth-place finish. And while Logano remains without a race win, he has earned eight top ten finishes this season, tied with Kyle Busch for the most in the Monster Energy Series. As we head for Talladega, Logano is currently sixth in the playoff standings, best among winless drivers at 173 points above the cut line. And it is worth noting that Logano is a two-time winner at Talladega. He finished fourth there last fall. And if you've been watching Talladega, you know how important a spotter can be. TJ Majors is one of the best in the business. He is with Joey Logano now after the retirement of Dale Earnhardt Jr. And recently we sat down with Majors who explained a little bit about what goes in to making Talladega successful. Talladega's coming up. Take us behind the curtain a little bit there. What's it like to be a spotter at that track? Oh man, Talladega, it's one of my favorite places to go. You're cleared by one, you're cleared by five. Everything's rolling in front of you there. I think the first move will come from the 11 on that 21. You're working pretty hard, and leading the race is as much work leading it as it is being back in the back. Logano is the leader. So you've got to constantly paint this picture on where the runs are coming from, and when you see them form, so the driver knows where to be. No big run coming now, no big run. And Joey is aggressive. Earnhardt gets a little bit of drafting help from Joey Logano. That'll push him out to the lead. And that makes it easier on a guy like me when I can say, you know, all right, there's a you know, big run coming on the high side, three back, two back, and I can watch him turn the wheel and get there. It's a lot of work. Jimmy Johnson right behind. Will he have a chance to do it in the trioval? A little bit higher if you have to there. Coming to the checker here, buddy. Protect the bottom here. You got it. We're going to do it. Dale Earnhardt Jr. will win. Oh, celebrate. So take us back a couple of years and how the relationship started. We met probably 96, 97-ish. You say we you were, met. You didn't meet him face to face. We were racing online. I didn't yeah. know who he was. Yeah. And we would always finish first and second. It was me more than him in first, but... Um, He's not here, so I can say that. But we would have really good races, and we were always racing for the lead in every race, and it was so much fun. We'd run from 9 o'clock at night until 6 in the morning sometimes, and we got to trade setups and just became friends. That's not the path or journey that I would ever have expected to happen, but, it, you know, it's pretty neat and interesting how it did. It took a little while to gain everyone else's trust, but when I went up there, I just spotted like I was racing what I would want to hear. It worked. It was a fun ride. I didn't know how long it was going to last, but it was a little over 10 years. Checkered flag waving. It's over. It's Earnhardt. Three back. No pressure. There you go, buddy. You've got a clock. Oh, you That's awesome, buddy. So once you understand that the junior is going to retire and you've had some calls along the way, you know that other people are interested in you, you still have to leave Junior Nation. <laughs> How did that go? That was probably my biggest concern. I think for the first tweet I got when it came out was, you're dead to me. So <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I told Joey that laughing with it. He's like, oh, you'll get used to it. <laughs> so, but it's been fun hearing people say, hey, you know, wasn't a fan of Joey, but I'm going to listen to you anyway because I like you. How did the transition to Joey Logano spotter come together? I think it just, I think it transitioned really well. It's been pretty seamless. We've watched a handful of races going up to Daytona. We've watched things and I would actually just pretend like I'm spotting that race. What I would say when I see that on the track, and he's really good at plate racing already, so he's one of them guys kind of like Dell Jr. where if you can give a guy like him just a little bit more, it's gonna be hard to beat. Logano wins at Talladega! <laughs> yeah, baby! Woo! Oh, I love winning here. 
What's a specific instance for you of when a spotter has mattered so much at Talladega? Well, they matter the most at Talladega and Daytona. And actually, you know, this past when I had at Talladega last year, I was working with Earl Barbin, who's Jimmy Johnson's spotter and had actually been my spotter for the last couple of years. And we have a great rapport with each other. We really understand each other. And the thing that spotter does, and you heard TJ talk about there at these tracks, is they paint a picture for the driver so that you don't have to use the mirror as much. And it allows you to see more of the racetrack than you would initially see just from inside the car. And so coming down to the end of that race, there's a lot of times where as a driver, you run the bottom and the top line starts to make a, a run. And that's when you really need to, especially when you're leading, find the perfect time to pop up and block that run. And that's where the spotter becomes so crucial. And Earl, in that race, gave me the perfect timing on it. We executed. I got the bump, was able to take the lead, and we held on to win the race. And so that's the thing that spotters do so well at those tracks and what you become, why they become so essential and why it's become essential to have such a good relationship with your spotter. DJ, with the amount of miles that you have logged at Talladega, I imagine there's a number of instances where a spotter's been invaluable, giving you the confidence that you need to be successful. Yeah, you're right, and that is invaluable. And you, you work with someone long enough. I got to the point that Bob Jeffries, who I worked the longest with, uh, when he keyed his mic, especially at Daytona and Talladega, I knew what he was going to say. So I could almost uh, make my move off the king of his mic before he ever spoke a word because these things happen so quickly at 200 miles per hour. There's just that split second that a hole may close up. So you, you get that feeling. But at, you know, every driver wants something a little bit different. I wanted to know, as Parker was pointing out, what was going on behind me. I can look out the front, and that gives me more chances. If he'll just keep me abreast of what's happening uh, behind me, that gives me the opportunity to do what I want to as a race driver. But uh, it's amazing just how good these guys have become. Yeah, for me, it's more uh, along the lines of what Parker was saying of painting the picture, and TJ said the same thing, and you can use the buzzwords of paint the picture or tell the story. I've used it to describe multiple times to my spotters. But I, I take care of what's immediately around my car, and that includes behind, next to me, and in front of me. Um, I really use my mirrors a lot. I, I run a really big mirror above me. Um, I run a, a really good-sized spot mirror. So I actually most of the time will clear myself from other drivers immediately around the car. I really put a lot of pressure on my spotter to tell the story, though. I need to know that guy that's behind me, Who's with him? How many cars are in my line? How many cars are in the next line? And how many cars are in the top line or, or whichever the third lane is? And that kind of helps me understand where the momentum's coming from. Um, I don't necessarily use my spotter as much for the clear high or clear low or you've got room here. Um, I need him to tell me where everything's coming from, and I'll just clear it myself because you have to make those moves so fast anyways that, uh, that you have to be comfortable with your mirrors. All right, coming up next, this is the biggest reason that the NBC team is looking forward to Talladega, the unpredictability, leaving room for the spiciest <laughs> yes. fantasy picks. Our analysts are going to show their cards after the break. For the third straight postseason, Brayton Holtby and the Washington Capitals will meet the Pittsburgh Penguins in the second round of the playoffs. Will the outcome be different this time around? Game one comes your way tonight. NHL Live gets things started next. Oh, man, when the Pens and Cavs hook up, it is worth watching, especially in the postseason. It is a rivalry matched only by our NASCAR America Fantasy League, which enters its fourth week at Talladega. By the way, you can still join us by registering at nascar.com slash NBC Sports Fantasy. Let's get some picks. Landon, let's start with you. What do you got for the weekend? Uh, well, I'm big on the Ford drivers. I think the Fords are going to be fast, so I've got Brad Keselowski winning the race. 
Um, I've got Trevor Bain in there because I want to see, I want to be rewarded for some aggression. <laughs> so Trevor and Kurt. And uh, I think the Hendrick cars are going to be fast. So I'm kind of hoping that Chase Elliott can put it on the pole for me and then I'll keep him in the garage to decide what to do there. Wow. And Sounds DJ, good. you've said Chase Elliott is going to win this race. You have said that this week, all week. Yeah, I pretty much had, and I've had him in, in my five there, and I almost talked myself into taking Joey Logano as my winner, and I'm going to be honest about something. I'm going to brag, but tell you why I went back to Chase Elliott, because as I was listening to my son's baseball game today, at the very end, I said, this is a young guy's deal. Chase Elliott's going to get that. My son hit a walk-off two-run homer today. I got kind of yep. excited, hey, and so I said, Chase, Chase is going to get his first win this weekend, this Sunday at Talladega. Tip of the cap to you, that is really, really tough to think about Chase Elliott when you think about his history at restrictor plate tracks. He has picked up some form of damage, DJ, in six of the nine career times that he has tried to do this. But the flip side of that, Parker, is when he doesn't do that, he's really, really good. He's very fast, and he seems to really be able to run up front at the super speedways. I didn't pick him, though, and some of the reason I didn't was because of the, you know, crash-prone situation. But I've got Kyle Busch went out on the limb with that one. He's hot right now. I've got Keselowski. We know how good he is at Talladega. I've got his teammate, Ryan Blaney. I think he'll be the winner. I've got Stenhouse. We know how good he is at Super Speedways. Kurt is probably one of the most underrated Super Speedway drivers in the series. And then I've got Alex Bowman in the garage because we know how fast those 88s have been each and every week. Whether it was Dale Jr. or Alex Bowman at the Super Speedways. They seem to find some incredible speed. We'll see if they can work some handling into those cars, though, because I'm a little worried about that right now. <laughs> I got that note about Chase Elliott from Roto World yes. because I've been doing they a lot me, of homework. They helped me decide not to choose Chase Elliott for that exact reason. I'm going to choose Chase Elliott. I'm going to choose Ryan Blaney based strictly on the show. I'm putting Stenhouse in my garage, and I'm putting Joey Logano in there, and maybe Brad Kozlowski and maybe Kyle Busch. So you just have all Fords and one, two. <laughs> I'm just not I mean, sure. How many picks do you get? You get more yeah, picks than we do. I'm pretty sure that was like uh, seven <laughs> picks. I'm she gonna, gets an extra drive. I'm going to listen to DJ because he has literally driven around 75% of the globe when you calculate the miles at Talladega. That's incredible. He's a DJ, legend. I don't think I've even done that many miles in my road cars. <laughs> He's an absolute yeah. legend. Hey, I'm twice as old as you are, so that's <laughs> all that says about me is I'm an old guy. That is <laughs> old. All right, that's it for us. But uh, you can always log on to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. We are back Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Stanley Cup playoffs are next. Game one of the Penguins and Capitals NHL Live right now. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.